We are called to be a generous people. But what if generosity is more than just giving? What if generosity is a way of seeing, reimagining what is possible, even when it looks like it's not enough? What if generosity is a way of obeying, choosing to follow the way of grace, even when it costs us greatly? What if generosity is a way of trusting, depending on God to provide, even when we give sacrificially? What if generosity is a way of living, joining together all that we have been given to bless others, even if we've never met them? May we learn to fully embrace together a life poured out for others. May we become truly generous. Was I dancing to that a little bit? I didn't realize that until I saw Pastor Melanie doing her giggle thing, and then I realized I was dancing with that. You kind of have to. Do we have the best bumper videos in the whole wide world or not? Chris and Melody, thank you. Okay, new series, Generous, which means a new what? Memory verse. So let's read it together. It's 2 Corinthians 9, 6. We have it? Okay, let's read it together. One, two, three, go. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Oh, that's kind of deep. And kids, you, you probably recognize those words, sows and reaps, right? It's like a farming analogy or metaphor where you reap or where you sow or plant, right? What you plant in the ground, that's what you will be able to reap. So when I think of generosity, there are so many stories, so many stories in my life, so many stories I know about in your lives, but I had to pick a few stories. So we'll start small because nobody said generosity has to be huge, right? It's actually not that much about size, and we'll talk about that. But um, at our dinner table growing up, we had a little old like farmhouse kitchen table, uh, and you could pull the, the leaves out, and you had to stick a little, a little wooden block under there to hold it up, and you weren't supposed to lean on it because it's not going to hold you up. Uh, some of you can relate because you're laughing with me. Um, but I, for whatever reason, sat, uh, my dad sat at the head of the table, you know, dad, and, and I sat right beside him at that corner. And I always remember if there was something that I found particularly delicious, um, and for some reason, the chicken legs come to mind. I don't know why, like a barbecue chicken legs. Uh, then, and if, if, if the plate of chicken legs was dwindling, I remember every time my dad would ask me if I wanted more, or if I wanted the last one. And that stuck with me, something so small, right? And as a parent, like, of of course you want your kids to fill up and eat well, and of course you would give them anything. But that made an impression on me, and I remember that. I probably never said this before, but he's, he's listening, and so he's, he hears it now. Um, thanks, Dad, for the last chicken leg. But that small, generous, consistently generous act stayed with me. Another time I remember, uh, this was a while back, um, 
I think I think before kids, before Emery, she doesn't know what story I'm talking about. I'm looking at her to get cues, and she doesn't know. Um, I was in a car accident, so someone who was under the influence of chemicals um, had had grabbed their parents' cars, uh, keys, and their car, and had just barreled right into me one morning. And uh, it could have been much, much worse. But the car course was going to be totaled, and uh, there were insurance problems, and we didn't know what we were going to do. We really didn't know. We had no extra cash flow at that time. And so um, word got around to uh, our church family at that time, which wasn't here. That's how long ago this was. And we, uh, someone rang our doorbell in the next few days and gave us a check, and another check showed up in the mailbox, had no idea um, who dropped that one, but <clears throat> it was covered. It was covered because people said yes to generosity in someone in, in my time of need. And then recently, I think about, I think about Oak House, right? Our home for aging out or aged out teen boys uh, the, who have aged out of the foster care system, which you all know about. Uh, my father-in-law, that's that's his house. That was his office. And when they moved to the other coast, he said, you know what we can do with this house? We can have teenage boys who are aging out of the foster care system live there and be sponsored and, and coached and mentored by growing to you. That's generous. And I think about Magnolia House and how the, the nonprofit Ophida and Melody's family and Miss Susan's family who... Uh, use resources through their nonprofit to buy a Magnolia House for growing to you so that teenage girls can have a home who have nowhere else to go. Well, that's generous. It may not be like chicken leg level, but that's pretty generous. See, generosity, it makes an impact. You've experienced this. Think about it. I think it's memorable. I think generosity is so memorable and makes such an impression because I think generosity, when you think about it, is at the very heart of the gospel. Have you ever thought about that? I think generosity is at the very heart of the gospel. God is a generous God. He did not have to give us a world like this. He didn't have to make things beautiful. He didn't have to create pleasure. It didn't have to be that way. He didn't have to give his only son to save the world out of his immeasurable mercy and grace, but he is so generous. Generosity is at the heart of the gospel. So let's go to the old Merriam-Webster for a definition. It said that generous means liberal in giving, marked by an abundance or ample proportions. Is, is, that, is that our God? Is that a way to describe our God? Liberal in giving, marked by abundance or ample proportions. And if that doesn't sound like God to you, then we'll start asking for him to show you that, and, and you'll, you'll see. Uh, so the word origin now from Latin, the word origin is from the Latin word genus. And you may recognize that as meaning like origin or birth, right? Origin or birth. 
And so what I found out here was that in the Middle Ages, this word generous actually was used to mean high-born or like a noble, right? A wealthy noble. That's what generous meant during that time. So the idea is that I think where this developed into the word that we know as generous is that uh, high-born nobles in the Middle Ages, when they would give out of their abundance to the peasants, well, that was generous. That was generous. Well, church, if you are a child of King Jesus, then you are high-born. Amen? And we've inherited much. In fact, we've inherited everything that Jesus has. Everything that he inherited from his dad, we inherit from him. And that includes inheriting his legacy of gracious generosity. That's ours to claim, too. You know, Jesus' first recorded miracle, you remember what it was, right? It was turning water into wine, and a lot of people say it like that. The one where he turned water into wine, but it was a little more extravagant than that. And if you do the math, I want to say it was around 900 bottles of wine. 900 bottles of wine. And it was the good stuff. It was top shelf, right? And if that sounds weird to you that I'm saying that, go back and reread it, and you'll see everybody was going, you saved the top shelf stuff for last. Wow, you're so generous. Well, it was the generosity of Jesus. What an extravagant gift. That's like the whole Burns wine cellar, right? And just plopping it down in a, in a wedding. And I'm sure they never forgot that because generosity is memorable. So if we are visioning up, visioning in, visioning out, if we are visioning in to look like God through transformation, then we are becoming a deeply generous people. Does that sound true? Then we are becoming a deeply generous people. So we're going to look at a story from the Bible where someone went from a taker. They met Jesus and were transformed, and they ended up being a generous giver. So let's look at this transformation story in Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, just passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, pardon me if this story reminds me of, of Brett. Um, I'm not sure what it was that reminded me of Brett. Maybe it was the other week when you had to take five minutes and adjust the mic stand down to your level. But, uh, but also, because uh, I just found out that Aaron and Brett were talking a couple weeks ago, and I'm totally stealing Brett's story, and you can steal one of mine one day. Um, but I have the microphone, so. Um, they were talking about going to see a, a monkeys concert. You know, the monkeys, like, hey, hey, we're the monkeys. Um, in Lowry Park in Tampa, a long time ago, they were, they were kids. They didn't know each other, but they realized they had been at the same event. And it's really cool when you realize that, right? 
and I'm not making this up, Brett said, to see the stage better, he literally climbed a tree, Zacchaeus style, so that he could see the monkeys concert. So it wasn't just the shortness, it was the story that reminded me of Brett. Um, so back to the Bible. Um, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So we came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. That's my muttering voice. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a beautiful story. But let's look at this through the lens of generosity and transformation toward generosity. Some of you know that tax collectors in the first century weren't very popular. In fact, they probably were pretty hated because, A, they worked for the Roman Empire who was ruling over the region with an iron fist, right, and, and taxing people to death. But, B, because these tax collectors were known for what? For skimming money off the top and keeping it. And this is how they got wealthy. So this is why it says that people were murmuring or muttering, uh, he's going to eat with sinners, because they assume that this guy is a, a liar and a cheat and works for the wrong side, right? But did you notice the transformation in Zacchaeus after spending time with Jesus? He became excited. Look, Lord, sounds like a little kid. Look, look, Dad, look, Lord, I'm going to give half of what I own away to the poor and pay back anybody I've cheated four times over. And then Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Now, I don't think he means that Zacchaeus is saved because of his generosity. I think he's saying that this type of generosity is evidence of a forgiven and transformed life. Evidence of a person who is taking on the inheritance of generosity in response to the generosity of God. Does some of you remember this movie from, it's been a while, um, it was a little grim, but also inspirational. It's called Pay It Forward. Do you remember that? With Haley Joel Osment, the, the Sixth Sense kid. Um, uh, it was, I guess it was good. It, it was a little grim. But uh, it was ultimately about how acts of kindness and generosity would spark more acts of kindness and generosity, right? People would pay it forward when some, something generous happened to them. So that phrase, pay it forward, if you recall, if you're old enough, you might remember that became like a well-known concept that became a well-known thing, to do something generous for someone, and then they're inspired to pay it forward. Or if something does, someone does something generous for you, then you pay it forward. You're, you become a part of that that generous chain reaction. So I've heard uh, real life examples of this. 
Um, now we have these sun passes for for the toll roads, right? This little, I have the little sticker one it has a tiny magnet in it or something. I don't know, a chip, a microchip. I sound smart. Um, but you just stick it on your windshield and you just drive through, and it just takes your money. Um, that's what we have now. But back in the day, like when I first moved here in 1996, um, a while back, we still had to pay with cash. Remember that? You still had to pay with cash. Here's a dollar and get my change. Or if you had three quarters at the time, you can throw it in that basket. And that was kind of fun, but you had to stop and pay cash. So I heard of a story where one car paid for the, themselves and the person behind them. The next car pulls up. The toll booth attendant says, uh, you've been paid for by that car. And they say, well, I have my 75 cents, so pay for the car behind me. And the chain reaction of toll booth generosity was started off. And the same thing you may have heard of at like drive-through restaurants, right? Where someone pays for someone's food and they send it on down, right? They pay it forward to the people behind them and they get their meal. Because I think that's because generosity, it isn't just a memorable thing. It doesn't just make an impression. It is contagious. Generosity is contagious. And when we choose to give or share generously like that in big or small ways, chicken legs, houses, whatever, we are giving someone a taste of the generous grace of God. We're giving someone a taste of that divine generosity that is there for them too. I think what we want to get across in this discussion about generosity, we'll put this on the screen. Generosity is more about, is about more than making individual choices to give. Generosity is a lifestyle that we are being transformed into as we become like Jesus. So, to flesh that out just a bit in this introduction sermon, let's take a sneak peek at the rest of the series to understand what I'm saying there. So if you <clears throat> saw the bumper video, you saw that we were saying that generosity is a way of seeing, it's a way of obeying, it's a way of trusting, it is a way of living. So let's talk about generosity as a way of seeing. It's about a new way of seeing. And in order to see like this, we're going to have to learn to agree with something, to own it as the truth so that we can see like this. This is what we have to own. There's always enough because God is always enough. There's always enough because God is always enough. Church, when we can learn to see like that, generosity becomes a little less scary or a little less challenging a little less hard when we can see it like that. As long as we remember that we are always called to be a part of that provision. We're always called to participate. Always called to participate. Think about the time, and we'll talk about this um, next week, I believe. The time when Jesus was preaching to a crowd of thousands, at least 5,000 men, and then others, 
And the disciples uh, began sort of, you know, warning Jesus, these people are going to get hangry unless you, that's from the Greek, hangry, meaning angry and hungry at the same time. Um, unless you send them away so that they can buy food. Um, this is not going to be good. So you know what Jesus tells them? He says, you feed them. Why would he say that? Why would he say, you, you do it? He knows that they can't do it. I think he says it to invite them into participating in his abundant provision. He could have just done it. But he said, you do it, which meant they had to lean on him to trust him, to trust that he's enough and participate by bringing what they had. What did they have? Five loaves and two fish. And they brought what they had and Jesus made it happen. So I really wonder if we don't actually have a scarcity problem in this world. I wonder if it's an imagination problem, if it's a seeing problem. And if that's true, I think God is the one who can stretch our holy imaginations into the realm of what he can do when we bring what we have. Generosity is a way of learning to see like that. See, it's not our job to feed the 5,000. It's our job to participate in the provision by bringing what we have. So generosity is a way of seeing. It's also a way of obeying. It's a way of obeying. We're going to talk about the Good Samaritan in a few weeks. If you recall that story where there's a guy who has been robbed and beaten and left in the ditch, and another guy, a bunch of people come by, don't help. And then the guy that, culturally speaking, is supposed to hate this guy, he's the one that saves him and pays for his recovery, right? It reminds me of this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' sort of treatise on kingdom thinking and kingdom living, he said this, Matthew 5, You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. See, that kind of generosity, the kind of generosity of the Good Samaritan who if he was following cultural, ethnic, racial rules, was supposed to hate this guy, right, in the ditch. That kind of generosity, we're going to have trouble seeing that unless we are learning to see like Jesus, unless we are looking with Jesus. And then we can obey in that kind of generosity that he lays out in the Sermon on the Mount. See, the world, I think, I think, I think anyone can understand being very generous with someone who is in great need, right? Extreme home makeover, you get, you get all the feels and maybe a few tears until you realize that their property taxes go way up and then they're in financial trouble. But let's not get into that. But you, <clears throat> you, uh, 
because it's, it's beautiful and easy to see the beauty in meeting a deep need, right? Especially if someone who's worthy, who, feels, who seems worthy of the generosity. But what's harder to understand outside of Jesus is being generous with somebody who's mean or greedy or demanding or evil or an enemy, biblically speaking. That's only possible with the generosity of Jesus transforming us from the inside out, the way that we see becoming generous so that we can obey his example of generosity. So a way of seeing, a way of obeying, a way of trusting. Generosity is a way of trusting. It has to be. So after that story, we're going to look in a few weeks at the story of the widow's mites, where she gives all that she could give, which was two little bitty coins, because she understood that generosity is a way of trusting. We're going to learn that we can't live generously if we don't trust that God already owns it all. And if we don't hold on to the truth that Jesus said, be like the birds and the flowers and stop worrying about it. Stop worrying about the provision. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to make you beautiful. I'm going to feed you. And we're also going to talk about money there. Yes, money. We're not going to ignore money because it can be a touchy subject in the church, and we're also not going to harp on money either. We're going to talk about it because if generosity is something that we are becoming, we're being transformed into, then that will carry into every part of our lives. So that makes sense, right? Time, energy, possessions, skills, and yes, finances. Absolutely. Hear this, church. Generosity, I'll put it up there for you, and giving is first and foremost a spiritual issue, not a financial one. But generosity is also a way of life that informs every part of our lives, including finances. Is that true? A way of trusting. And finally, we'll talk about generosity as a way of living. As a way of living, especially a way of living together. We're going to look at a story in the New Testament where a church, there's a, a small church, they don't have a lot, um, but they hear of a need of a church far away, never met these people, and they rally, and they find enough to send over to this church of people they've never even met. They did it because they saw the need, they obeyed the teaching of Jesus to share generously, and they trusted it would be enough and that they would still have enough. And they joined together in a generous community so that the, what was possible with their generosity could be multiplied. Isn't that beautiful? It could be multiplied. And that should sound, I don't know, a little familiar. We're just talking earlier. Liza was talking about our new relationship um, with Shanti Navas and our friend Shalini and their church and their nonprofit of uh, rescuing trafficked uh, girls and young women. We've been able to rally and support them in a way that shouldn't make much sense for 
on paper for a church our size. And we're going to keep doing that. And we're going to be blessed by them, too, in many ways. It's the start of a beautiful relationship. But let me tell you guys, I don't think we've scratched the surface with that. I really don't. I think that with God and a synergistic flow of generosity and community, of us living generously together, I think we're going to see some amazing things. We already have. We already have. Seeing, obeying, trusting, living. That's what we're being transformed into as a generous people who belong to and inherit a generous God and his generosity. Melody, you can come on back up. Um, In James, Chris's favorite book, um, because James is not known for pulling punches. Um, In James 2, he says this, starting in verse 14. Uh, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Simply put, we meet needs, we live generously not to earn something, not to make up for something, not for penance, not because we're activists or nonprofit leaders, not because we are trying to be moral. We meet needs generously because that is the fruit of Christ in us, who has lavished his amazing grace and mercy on us to the point of transformation and overflow. Is that true or true, church? Transformation and overflow. It is the fruit of Christ embodied in us. It's who we are. That is why we choose to see, obey, trust, and live generously together. So whether it's barbecue chicken legs or drive through meals or whole houses, generosity is so memorable It's so contagious, and it bears witness to the generosity of a good and gracious God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful for to be a part of a generous family like like this and to be connected with so many people who have said yes to living a life of generosity of allowing that to transform them and transform those who receive. I thank you for opportunities that we have to receive generosity from others. God, it is the holy kingdom economy of give and receive. We have seen it. We have participated in it. We have chosen it. But God, you can take us deeper. As a family, as a church family, but as individuals too. God, you can take us deeper into just, it, just becoming the way that we see 
the way that we respond to you because we love you in obedience, the way that we trust that there's enough because you're enough. And it just becomes a way of living. God, I think you have things to say. I think you... I think you're going to be teaching us. I think you're going to be speaking. I think you're going to be moving. We welcome that in this discussion over the next few weeks. Amen.